Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Thematic Podcast. My name is Craig, and my guest today is Becky Johnson. And this is a series called Conversations in Contrast, which we are filming from Folsom, California. And uh, we're in Shalom, the mobile podcast studio right now. So if you hear some background noise and things like that, we are literally in a camper that we've converted to a podcast studio. And so thanks for joining me today, Becky. Absolutely. It's an honor. I'm going to introduce her in a second. I just want to make sure everybody knows the theme of this because I think the foundation is important before we get started. And then I'll stop talking to the camera and we'll just talk. But yeah. uh, Conversations in Contrast is birthed from this idea that social media can be good, can be really bad. And one unfortunate side effect of social media specifically is that everything's filtered and everything, you know, and it's not a bad thing that you're putting up the good parts of your life, but sometimes what we're doing is unintentionally sending a message to, to a generation that everybody else's life is perfect. And I know that my life isn't perfect and I have struggles. And so, man, I can never be like that person. I can never have success like that person. And so one way, Becky, that I've been thinking about this is like if a 16 year old rolled up to King David when he was in his prime in the castle, <laughs> like everything, right? And he's like, yeah, well, look at, I mean, look at you. Yeah. Like, you're the king. Yeah. You have it all. And David's like, oh, son, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. Like, you have, you didn't know the 15 years of living hell. Yeah. Let me just tell you about that. And so the point of this is not to glorify pain, but it's to pull back the curtain a little bit and to let you know that the people you look up to, the people that are being used in mighty ways, most of the time I've found it's not because their life has been perfect, but it's because they've been through pain. They've been through a process. They've been through a struggle. There's a, a making of a man or a woman of God through hard times. Yeah. It's just sometimes how God works. And so even a dark night of the soul, maybe. And so today my guest is Becky Johnson. And uh, I'll introduce her just because we're not super close friends. We met previously and I follow you online. And so the way that I perceive you from afar, it may be the way that other people would is, man, this girl is working at one of the most uh, known churches in the nation, uh, one of the most well-known worship bands in the nation, in the world, really. Mm -hmm. And you're an executive pastor here and you're a preacher, you're a traveling preacher, you're a wife to an amazing husband <laughs> who's also a worship leader yeah. in this worship band. And you got, I think you have three kids. Yeah. And so I think, man, like if it was just from social media or maybe just somebody in your church that wasn't a close friend of, you, of yours, just seeing you from afar, man, this girl's doing it all. <laughs> like she's full-time ministry. She travels and preaches and she's all in with her kids and her husband in terms of being a mom. So- if you're a young person looking at you thinking, man, I don't even know how I could ever like she just must have been totally set up. Mm -hmm. So either your life has been perfect or you've been through some hard things that God has used to make you uh, moldable to be used the way that you are. Mm -hmm. So unless it's the former, <laughs> can you tell us about something that you've been through in your life that was difficult, painful, struggle dark night of the soul, even however you would word it mm -hmm. and be transparent as you would like. Mm -hmm. um, has there been anything like that in your life? No, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> it, folks. Kidding. That's the podcast. <laughs> I love it. She's I like, just, I'm perfect. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sorry, but everything's been good. <laughs> um, I just want to say I, this is the coolest podcast setup I've ever been in. Uh, I am so amazed. The I've coolest said, mobile or ever? Ever. I'd say <laughs> ever. Are you Victory. kidding me? And uh, I would really love, I think a good podcast after this would be just us in interviewing you on how you did this oh, and the yes that you said. So I'm just we'll do that next honored time. <laughs> to, to be on Conversations in Contrast. It's really cool. And I love what you're doing. I think it's so important. I speak to youth primarily um, when I travel. I'm right. executive pastor of the church. That's adults. But I still do a ton of youth right. ministry. I was the youth pastor of Jesus Culture for eight years. Right. The first ever youth pastor of Jesus Culture as a church. Oh, you were? Yeah. Because we planted in 2014. We planted from Bethel Church, started Jesus Culture Sacramento. And I was the youth pastor right when we opened the doors pretty much. And so my uh, my passion for the next generation hasn't left me. Now that I'm an executive pastor, still still overseeing uh, a lot of what we do with the next generation. And I think this is couldn't be more timely. Yeah. You know, the, the filters that they're seeing in the highlight reels, it's creating in them a hunger for a life that's really not 
possible or real. Right. And so I, I love this. So I just want to say that. Thank you. Um, yeah. By the I, way, I will say too, I was, yeah. I was texting my friend Jonah mm-hmm. and I asked him about their conference. Hey, how did it go? Was it? And he said, my favorite part was Becky Johnson's message. <laughs> oh, so kind. just a compliment. You love Jonah. <laughs> Jonah Coyne, shout out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have, I've been through when you, when you prompted this question and we're asking about, have you ever been through anything difficult? <laughs> I just giggled with my husband. I'm like, you did? yeah, like my, my life. Are you kidding me? I told him, I said, what should I talk about? What, which dark night of the soul period? And, uh, we just kind of laughed because man, isn't that funny that, that those are just things that you don't know and that we don't share in, you know, f- for, for many reasons. But um, I, I think for this conversation, just focusing on, uh, kind of my childhood, I think would be, okay. would be something that'd be relevant. Um, it wasn't necessarily a season or an event that happened to me, but something that it was more my, the circumstances that I was raised in. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Midwest in a really small town in uh, Northwest Indiana. Oh, okay. Yeah, nobody would know. Is that like cornfields and stuff out yeah, there? Yeah, cornfields. Pretty much. I was. How I many people in, were in your in town? Wheatfield, Indiana. Wheatfield, at, Indiana. At the time when I grew up, when I was growing up there, I think the population was like six hundred. Tiny. <gasps> okay. Yes, very rural town in the Midwest. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. Um, so I, I, I tell people, you know, the parable of the talents in mm-hmm. Matthew. You know, and and to one is given, you know, five, and to one is given this many, and one's given two. And there's just, there's just people in life who are given more talents than others. And mm-hmm. it's about what you do with those talents. Right. That really, right. It's about what you do with what you've been given. Right. That really is the, the determiner, the determination of what your life looks like right. and, and how God uses you. So anyway, I, I always tell people like, I was the one that was just given a few. I was not given much in life to okay. work with. <laughs> it's about what did I go and do with what I was given? Um, my biological dad, uh, he, my parents divorced when I was five. Okay. They were, um, my mom was a teenage mom. She, uh, they got married when they were freshmen in high school, 15 I'm years sorry, old. Married? Married as freshmen in high school. Now is, can I ask, <laughs> is that because you to, were on the way? No, it was to escape an abusive household that my mom was growing up in. And her <sighs> only way out was to get married. And so my mom's phenomenal, incredible. So she married her boyfriend. And at the time, maybe in in the area of the country, like it was just kind of like, yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, kind of, um, I think, you know, parents had to sign off. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. There was like that emancipation kind of thing. Oh, my goodness. Of a minor. And so they got married and got pregnant with my sister at uh, 16, about to turn 17. And then three months after my sister came along, my brother came along. So they were just two, like they'd be juniors in high school. They're just kids having kids. Just kids having kids. And, um, and then I came along much later. I came along seven years later, Okay. but, um, they, they were married throughout their <laughs> teenage years and twenties. And then when I was five, um, they got divorced. My mom, um, was ready to start a stable life for a lot of reasons. As you can imagine getting married that young, Yeah. lots, lots going on. And so, um, my biological dad was falling into, uh, some heavy addiction and, um, just wasn't turning his life around. And my mom thought, okay, I've got these three kids now. I need to change. You know, we, we need something to happen. We let's get our life back on track. And he just wasn't, wasn't able to do that. And Mm. so they got a divorce when I was five years old. Um, at the same time, there was, uh, some surrounding circumstances kind of right as they were splitting up, my mom's sister passed away. Um, we had moved in with her when I was f- about four, four years old, five, like all around this time we moved in with her to take care of her while she was dying of cancer. Mm. She was like a second mom to us. And it was extremely, extremely painful. Just a really, really, um, ugly, painful process. And mm. her death was, uh, so sad and slow. And mm. as my, you know, think my mom is in her twenties going through a divorce, having three kids and now watching her sister die. And we were, that was the circumstances surrounding my parents splitting was I, mm. I was watching this happen. Now, did y'all grow up? Did you grow up in the faith? No, we're, no, no, no faith, no, no church, no, no Christian. Chur- nope. No, God's okay. not, you know, so you're just, it's just life and pain and 
and okay. Yeah. And so that was, um, so that was all when I was five, six years old, kind of the, the start of really a, a different life is now my parents have split and my mom's now a single mom raising us. Um, so that was, um, yeah, that <laughs> That's kind of how my childhood was set up. Now, my mom met my stepdad. I, I do want to give, just give credit to him. He he came into the picture um, when I was young, and they dated for a long time, and then they got married. And he really was the dad who raised me, and okay. he was a very kind man, and I'm thankful for him. And he was um, totally looking back like, oh, that was God kind of mm-hmm. stepping in. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, when you there, he wasn't my dad, yeah. you know, he wasn't my biological dad. Was your dad around at all? And he wasn't around at all. So, so when they split, so when they split, he was he out just, of your life. Too. Yeah. He just kind of went full on into his life of addiction and pain. And he would, he would kind of come in and out, um, you know, a phone call at Christmas, a visit here and there, but very, very, very in and out. And so, um, those, those were the, the circumstances I was raised in. Um, do you remember what you were feeling as a young girl? Like, because, and I haven't lived that life, but I feel like sometimes people are, it's just like confusion or there's anger or there's like, why doesn't dad love me? Mm -hmm. Or I I don't know. Like, can you let us into that a little bit? Like what, what did a young Becky, how was she viewing the world through the pain of death and, and like, what yeah. was it like? Yeah. So, so that's exactly what I was going to go into. So, I, so it was, you know, five, six years old, that's happening. And then you're just little and I don't have a ton of memories, but from that, but I do. So from five on, I was terrified of losing my mom. Uh. I was terrified of death. Um, anytime I would see an ambulance, anytime my mom would be gone longer than she was supposed to, I had a lot of anxiety as a, I mean, a little kid. I remember being in first, second grade. Um, if my mom didn't pick me up from school right when she was, you know, if I didn't see her outside in the line, I would run to a teacher and it it was abnormal. I didn't know it was abnormal, but now as a mother and you know, in my thirties, I'm like, wow, that's so odd. No, there was something deeply psychological that happened to a teacher and I'd say, did my mom die? This was the question I led with. Did my mom die? I had this, I had this, wow. you know, horrifying fear. So when I was 13 years old, I remember Craig making the conscious decision. Okay, it's no problem. This is not sponsored by coffee. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's on God's word, so be careful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I remember at 13 years old. You know, hormones are hitting. Peers are different at school. Those you know, we know going into teenage years. That's an important year. And I remember turning 13, becoming a teenager, and I was sitting in my room, and I thought, my my dad doesn't love me. Mm-hmm. I remember having this conscious thought, my dad. I have, a, I have a stepdad who loves me. My mom loves me. But my dad, and I remember thinking, he, I'm half of him, and he doesn't love me. And I'm, wow. And I'm half of him. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me that he doesn't? love me enough to leave his addiction. What's wrong with me that he doesn't love me enough to stay in touch with me? He's He lives 45 minutes away from me. I didn't know that. From 5 to 13, I thought he lived miles and miles away, oh, maybe states so away. Forever. And when I was 13, I became aware. I remember asking my mom, I said, where does, where does dad live? And she said, the city. And I was like, that's 30 minutes away. Has he always lived 30 minutes away? She was like, yeah, like he, he lives 30 minutes away and I, yeah. I haven't seen him for, for nine years. He was, wait. And so, wait, it, so he could be here so, every day. Yeah. Nothing. So I, I went in my room and I just got so Whoa. overwhelmed with feelings of rejection and shame. And you saying it just kind of hit you in, in it one just, day it hit me and then it just day. starts spiraling and it started like spiraling. I picked up a blade of a razor that I found and I began to self mutilate that day. <gasps> And I started this journey of, I just would start to cut my arms. I had something I knew kids had done. I knew in school, I had heard about it like, oh, you know, self-mutilation is a thing. And if you're really hurting, you know, maybe that would take away the pain. And I started to self-mutilate, quickly spiraled into using drugs. The same day that you had the thought, my dad doesn't love me, Mm -hmm. you grabbed a razor blade. Mm -hmm. Same day. It just hit. 
Did and you have any conversation with your mom or anybody? Mm-mm. It just is all this internal dialogue. All internal and dialogue starts. and it starts and and really it just it opened the door to so you know, it was it the enemy started to just it just started to uncover just started to tell me lies yeah. about you know, I'm the man who helped make me doesn't love me. Therefore, if there's a God who made me, he doesn't love me either. I'm unlovable. I was probably a I was probably an ugly child. I remember thinking that I'm probably ugly child. Well, I am ugly. Oh, I'm chubby. I'm ugly. Um, No wonder he doesn't love me. Maybe I cried a lot. I'm whiny. I need to be quiet. Like just started, started to self mutilate quickly turned into using substances, smoking, drinking, started to find. And then, you know, I just in school, I was in a public school and I'm in this rural town too. So it's not, this is kind of what teenagers did in those towns. It was just kind of, we were poorer. There wasn't much to do. So it wasn't hard to find, um, kids who were kind of in this same life as me went to school. And I knew that those kids who were also hurting and had access to things that I didn't have access to, to help numb the pain and began to make friends with them and, and run in circles that, were, you know, other divorced families or um, substance abuse or, you know, homes with addiction and access to drugs and just began this three, four-year journey of... Starting at 13. Yeah, starting at 13. I, I remember making the conscious choice. I'm going to blow my life up. I'm going to blow my life up. and, and You literally said that to you, though. Something, something, I'm going to blow my life up and hopefully my life ends because I'm I am riddled with pain. Um, I started to feel depressed and anxious and, and, and hit all this. My mom was, you know, working multiple jobs. Yeah, she was very busy. And, and there was some, um, I, I won't get into the full extent. There was some trauma, like actual, not trauma the way that everyone loves to use the word trauma now, which I think is a bit of an overused word. There was some legitimate trauma that I'd experienced as, um, from, probably one to five, some legitimate trauma Mm. that led to some of those decisions as well that started to manifest memories of that started to manifest as a teenager. Oh, wow. I've been through this and oh my gosh. And then I got myself into a horrible situation at 15 um, that was extremely uh, dangerous and led to some decisions that I made some decisions at 15 and put myself in some situations where people were able to do things to me that would have, you know, repercussions for, I probably still dealing with that. So there was a pretty traumatic, significant event that happened when I was 15 because I had just, you know, followed this dark hole of, you know, who I was hanging out with and what I was yeah. doing, got myself in this situation that was just a, a, a really dangerous situation. Something happened to me that was really horrible, painful, illegal, traumatizing. And then that was like a second. I was, you know, after that incident, I'm like, see, see, I am rejected. I am unworthy. I am unlovable. And begin another two years of just now I'm numbing that pain before I'm numbing the pain of why wasn't my, you know, why wasn't my life whole? Why weren't my parents together? Why, you know, I'm numbing that pain, dealing with reject, rejection and shame and depression and anxiety. And then this thing happens to me at 15. Now I need to numb that pain, you know. And so, oh gosh, my teenage years were just a total disaster. <laughs> and so what happens is this all culminates to, God radically saving me at 17 years old. How? Just you want to hear that story? Yeah, where? Yeah. I mean, we have to at this yeah. point. So I just <laughs> yeah, so crazy. And uh, and then in this, can you please just tell us in when you think about God as a father, mm. how how that has played out in your life? Obviously, absolutely. At, but yeah, tell, so, so right. So God's not anywhere in this picture, right? Right. As a I mean, this is all just yeah. So I'm just just pain and and so kind of what I'm setting up is, gosh, all of that, what that the difficulty right the behind the curtain of who I am is what I've had to walk through and and deal with and reconcile post meeting Jesus and becoming a Christian right so so I'll I'll, I'll tell the short version um I had got to so this this situation that happened to me when I was 15 you know there's there's the cops like there's the cops involved this is a whole mess and in desperation my mom is like I don't know how to help you I'm going to send you to church. Just go to church. (laughs) 
I don't know what to do with Maybe you. Maybe the church can help. Just go to church. So she sends me to this vineyard church in Northwest By Indiana yourself? With my aunt. Okay. She sends me to church with my aunt. My aunt's, you know, my aunt was coming over. She's anointing my room and speaking in tongues. And she's like cast, trying oh, to cast what? demons Okay, out. so like yeah. your aunt's like my aunt's, really. Yeah, like, she was. She was, she was, she was on it. So she's, you know, she was kind of the. Like that aunt that's crazy, but when your life is falling apart, maybe just maybe yeah, she's got some of that. So much of, <laughs> that we though, need. so much of where I am today, I think I'm like, oh, thank you're God like, for you're, it. You're the aunt crazy Kim. aunt yes, now. Yes, I totally am. hundred percent. Like, okay. get you a crazy aunt, let her anoint everything. In but yeah, life. thank God for this aunt. And that so she was going was to in touch church? with the Holy Spirit yeah. and could take you somewhere where the actual presence of God Absolutely. was. Absolutely. Okay. So she's at this vineyard church. If you're familiar with vineyard, John Wimber, the vineyard church, and they were experiencing renewal what we would call renewal and what was happening was they were accessing teachings from bethel so i'm in indiana what? and they're reading bill johnson's book when heaven invades earth and the holy spirit is just on the move in this church radical worship salvations are happening it was so beautiful it's this two-year moment that just <sighs> and i find myself in the church in the midst of that and this yet yeah, this now i am in my full-on 2003 punk rock goth phase okay. i have blue hair oh, oh dark eye makeup, anti-government, anarchy pins, bands, like patches everywhere, blue dickies, bright okay, blue Doc Martens. what music were you listening to? Like hardcore, anti-government, punk rock, underground music. Wow. Like. I mean, I got to be honest. I kind of want to see <laughs> Jessica. I want to see the Becky 2003. What year did you graduate from high school? 2007. Okay. I was 03. So, uh, but, so I. I yeah. Yes, yeah, so that era. We're, we're here. I you, know. I know the era. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I try to tell youth now. I'm like, this doesn't really exist anymore. But like back then, there was this type of student that there was this type of style, this punk rock, you know. So you weren't emo. No, you were the you were. You I were was over on this track. very underground, very but grungy. Becky, a lot of this stuff's coming back. <laughs> Like everything's coming yeah. back. Yeah, when I see Doc Martens, are coming back. Oh yeah, Doc Martens. When I see Dickies and Doc Martens, I'm like, guys, we were buying these at thrift stores, oh, cutting yeah. them up, and oh. so I anyway. have safety pins everywhere. You know, a dog collar, like the whole oh, thing. Oh, you did it, dog oh, collar. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So that's who you were. So I'm sitting in, in the back 03. row of this church. I think at the time I had bright orange hair. I would change it from purple to orange to blue, and I'm sitting in the back of this church. Just, I'm probably hungover. I'm so angry. I'm hurting. I'm, I'm just. I'm so desperate, but I don't know what for. And this girl walks up to me. She's my age. And she says, God told me to give this to you. It's a burned CD. It's blank. It's blank. I don't know what it is. It's burned. Yeah. And I said, thanks. I throw it in my bag that has a big anarchy symbol on it. I throw it in my bag along with my marijuana that's in there and my pills and whatever else. And I said, thanks, you know, and I just leave and. The church was intriguing. Um, was it I, like just a weekend service? You it were was, to? yeah, just Sunday, okay. Sunday morning. And you just kind of sat through it. And I'm it, watching, like, okay. and, and it's intriguing. You know, I, in you know, in retrospect, there was something that was curious about what was happening. I thought this is, I wasn't turned off to it. I thought this is really cool. Like, wow, these people are they're really in love. They're in love with something. Is that literally what you thought? I was going to ask you about they're that. In love. Like, sometimes so when people experience people that are happier they're like that's fake that can't yeah. be real but your thought was man they're really in love with something they're in love that's beautiful and it was beautiful because it was a vineyard it was very john wimber's heart right if if you're familiar it was just really the love and, and the the pastor there the senior pastor at the time was very very much like wimber and um hmm. yeah it was um it was a special place and i just thought man they're in love they're in love with something that I'm not in love with and I didn't think they were crazy. I didn't think they were they were weird. I thought they're in love. Wow. They're captivated. Well, you know, watching them with their hands hey, up Jess, looking can you at find something. The Kleenex if we have those around somewhere. Thanks so much. Um, they're in love. And so it was intriguing. Um, my my punishment for what I had done was to go to this church and it went from, you know, kicking and screaming and trying to sleep in to every Sunday I'm getting ready sooner and sooner and now I'm wanting to come. Really? Yes. My mom was like, I think you need to go to this church. Like if you want any kind of social life, you need to, you need to be at church every Sunday. So I'm at church every Sunday. So this girl had given me this CD and, um, I remember I'm wake, I'm getting ready for school one morning at this time. I'm struggling with anorexia. I had lost significant weight. I was eating one can of tuna a day. That's all I would allow myself because the control over what I ate felt good I couldn't control what was going on around me. I felt like I was so out of control with my emotions, but I could control my eating. Thank you. 
And so I was, I was dropping weight significantly, still self-mutilating, partying on the weekends. And, um, oh, I just, you know, felt all the, all the things. And I threw in, I took this CD and I thought curiosity got the best of me. Like, what is this? Yeah. What does she mean? God told her to yeah, give this right. to me. It's probably some cheesy Christian music, you know. I right. I did not like. Uh, it's gonna be jars of yeah, clay. Yeah, my mom was listening to like Wow Worship. DC talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought these Christian. Wow Worship. And I liked. I loved like my oh, hardcore yeah. music, and I thought, yeah. man, yeah, I thought DC talk is so cheesy. Like, what is this? So I I throw it in, and it is a Jesus Culture CD. It's the first Jesus Culture no. recording. Yeah, this. Are you serious? It's the first. It was recorded. Kim in Walker. Who's on it? Kim, Chris, Brian. Um, people. Jen is on it as a Brian and Jen. Brian and Jen were on it. It was. It was. It's called Everything. It was recorded in two thousand five. Didn't go viral. It was before. It was before, it was before how before, we left. Yeah. Before Jesus, there was just the. What. They just recorded a conference. It's the most. It's the poorest quality recording anybody has ever heard. That's why we don't. We don't distribute it anymore. And um, it's really bad. We got to find this, Becky. And it's a, it's a worship track, and then it's a, they had a student pray. So every other track is a prayer from someone in the youth group, and they recorded it. And so I, <sighs> I turn it on, and it's worship, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then uh, the track number two, a young girl starts to pray. She sounds about my age, and she starts crying out to God to touch, to touch her generation. And my, I had that thought again. There's that love. There's that love that some that they have that, that like what is she in love with? And I thought, they are desperate for something. They're so desperate for something that I have I've never been desperate for anything like that. I've never loved anything like that. What are they crying out for? Who are they crying out to? What do what do what do they want to taste and feel? Like it was so tangible. And I'm just stopped in my room, 6 a.m. I'm getting ready to go to school. It's like a Wednesday or Thursday morning. And I just begin to weep. And I'm, I'm just hooked and I'm listening to it. And I listen to this worship and then the prayers. It was the prayers that were wow. gripping me because I'm like, they sound like me. They pray another worship track. And every prayer, I'm, I'm, I'm crying harder and I'm feeling more. I'm feeling... I feel chilled. I feel warm. I feel weird. I'm like, something is taking over my body. And at the very, the very last track, a man begins to preach and it's banning. And he begins to preach about how the best thing you could do would be to give your life to God. And that he's calling a generation to go all in and he's praying and kids are screaming. Yes. And he's praying and he's just talking about how God has any, like what, what the world has to offer you is nothing compared to what God has to offer you, but you have to make a choice. And I'm looking at my RCA five disc CD changer, like, and I'm like talking to it. I'm like, yes, yes, I want that. And I'm weeping and weeping and weeping. And I'm just responding. I'm responding to the gospel. I'm responding to this message. I'm like, yes, yes, I will choose God. I don't know what I'm saying. I fall to my knees in my room. It's the craziest thing. This is like six in the morning. Yeah. Getting ready for school. Fall to my knees. And I just, and God says, Becky, if you give me your life, I'll do more than you ever knew possible. I'll take all this from you. I'll take all this from you. I love you. I'm sorry for what's happened to you. He's breaking off shame, rejection, addiction. (sighs) And I just have this encounter with the Holy Spirit for about 30 minutes where I'm just crying and overcome with the physical tangible presence of God I look in the mirror I'm like oh my gosh I have to go to school I look in the mirror and I remember for the first time not despising what I saw it was the craziest thing I looked in the mirror and I saw someone different like I had looked in the mirror before and I had hated every time I looked in the mirror I hated the girl I saw I hated how she looked how she acted how much she weighed how her nose I hated it and it looked in the mirror and I loved, I loved me. Like I felt like I, oh, I, I'm okay. I'm accepted. Wow. And um, gave my life to God that day. Had no idea. What that meant. <laughs> no what idea that what that like. meant. No one in my family was. But you knew it church, was real. Knew it was real. Went back to the church. Found that girl. And I was like, what is this? And she said, it's Jesus culture. It's this thing in Redding, California. I said, who's the man? Who's the man praying? 
And she said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I said, well, I, I need to go. I need to go. <laughs> She's like, I, you know, she goes, okay, well, let's talk to the, let me, you know, talk to the pastor. And I'm just asking all the questions in this church. And I'm like, listen, my life's been radically saved. I'm different now. I've left everything behind. I was dating my husband at the time. I show him the CD. I'm like, we're Wait, giving our lives. Derek? Derek and I were dating. You, yeah. You grew up in the same little town? Yeah. We met when I was a freshman in high school. <laughs> wow. Okay. Y'all so, didn't marry a freshman though. <laughs> we did not. <laughs> okay. So are you a junior or senior I think when this happened? I was a junior. It was like midway through my junior year. And Derek wasn't a Christian either. No. We were dating. You guys, just okay. living it up. He had graduated already. You have this encounter and you're like, dude. I'm like, listen, you, do you, you need to listen to this. You And he's like, you know, has his own encounter and starts to come to church with me. <sighs> And we just, we just went all in. And so crazy thing is through this, through all of that crazy high school, uh, those decisions, I was a straight A student and I got a full ride scholarship to Indiana university an academic scholarship to IU. Wow. So I'm planning to, I'm going to go to college and, um, get a degree and I need to get out of this poverty cycle. I'm going to be the first one in my family to not to finish high school, to go to college and the Lord it, through this journey, we realized there's a school of ministry in Redding, California. Had, so did you go visit? Like, I mm -hmm. got to get there? You never visited, no, never but visited. you just heard about just it. Just heard about it, started to read all the books. Our church were bringing in, um, like, some speakers from it. No, there's no YouTube. There's no Bethel TV. There's no Bethel music. It was Right, none of that. Yeah, none yeah. of that. And so I called the school. I called them, and I said, I would like to attend. I'm graduating in a year. They sent me an application in the mail in a manila envelope. It was like a big packet, like 17 pages. It's not online. I said, send me two applications. My boyfriend and I are going to apply. And I met with my high school counselor and I said, I am not going to take this scholarship. Oh my. She said, You're hold crazy. on. She said, this is so rare. Kids from this school don't get this kind of opportunity. Yeah. This is your ticket out. And I said, I'm going to go to a school of supernatural ministry instead <laughs> she said are you a witch <laughs> she, said, she said what are you talking about is that a, like what is this is, is this wiccan is this pagan i said no this is christian <laughs> <laughs> she said this is this is a bad decision and i said i'm i i have to it changed my life. I'm, I'm different. Was your mom in support? My mom was in support. She was like, this is awesome. Did your mom come to faith? She she is in church. She is loving the Lord. She is amazing. So just kind of through this journey, I think, of of watching my life. But know. it started with you. Yeah. She had and a burnt Jesus culture <laughs> yeah. city. She had been and in a vineyard and, church. She had been in and, in and out of church, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't, uh, we weren't like, you know, there was, it wasn't atheistic. Yeah, it wasn't she, she grew up Catholic actually, okay. but like the full, you know, yeah, it wasn't oppositional, mm -hmm. but, it, but it just wasn't there yeah. for you, especially. Totally. Growing up. Okay. Yeah. This is incredible, Becky. Yeah. So, so get to school. So, so we went to school of ministry, drove from Indiana to California, overheated every state in the car that we were in. It was the worst. Oh, so Jessica, we're not the only people that overheat <laughs> no, driving. Not at all. <laughs> we literally overheated trying to get here That's so funny. in the truck. So, so you guys, you guys drive together as a dating couple. Yep. But you're accepted. You're like, we're, we're both moving. accepted. We go, you go, you overheat. We go to Bethel and okay. I'm like, and this I is 2007, eight? 2007, 2008. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so we show up and I'm like, I said, where's Banning Leapshire? I'm going to, I'm going to work for that man. I'm going to follow that man. I had. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> and students are like, you don't just talk to Benny Leapshire. He's like Jesus culture. He's like the Jesus culture guy here. Like we're just students. And I'm like, well, I'm saved because of that man's preaching and something in my heart, something in my heart comes alive when he speaks that has never happened to me before. Oh my. And I didn't meet him for three more years, <laughs> but I, you was, didn't even meet him for three years. I didn't meet him for three years. <laughs> So yeah, didn't meet him for three years. That's good. It's not about the man. No, yeah. Uh, yeah. Didn't meet him for three years, but he would preach at Bethel and I would just sit and I just would remember that moment and something about, I just knew like, I, I want to serve the vision of Jesus culture. This thing changed my life. I know it's changing the lives of other people. And then it, so 2007, we, we, the month we got out to Bethel, how he loves went viral on YouTube. Oh, 
So it was all very much in that it was time. All starting right then. And so it was really beautiful. So so just through our journey. So so you know, now the 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 super condensed is we end up interning for Jesus Culture through the, uh, at, in our third year of ministry school. Derek okay. begins leading worship. I became an intern. I interned for two years, got on staff. I've done 10 different roles, been on staff for almost 12 years. I'm the executive pastor of Jesus Culture Sacramento. It's incredible. I had no idea any of that. So stuff. crazy. But having that, you know, experience, not growing up in the church, you know, I remember getting to Bethel looking around at all these students and I thought they all have grown up Christian. They all probably have mom and dad. They've never, they don't have a sinful past like me. And the first, this is so funny. I'll, I only share because I was, I was 18. So I'll give myself that I was dumb, young and dumb. The first month of school, you're doing all these introductions, people all over the world. And everyone's like, you know, where are you from? What's, you know, tell me the 30 second life story. And I would say, oh, I've been a Christian my whole life. My parents are Christian. No, you I, didn't. Because <laughs> I thought, you're just if I tell lying. people. You're at ministry school lying. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought, if I tell people what I did 18 months ago. I'm going to get kicked out. If I tell people, no one's going to take me seriously. Yeah. People aren't going to think I'm, if I tell people I was so ashamed. Mm. So my journey of getting called into ministry doing, cause I, I wasn't um, preaching. I was on staff for Jesus with Jesus culture for five years behind the scenes, administratively in leader and in leadership thinking I'll never take a microphone. I'm not worthy. When you say on staff with Jesus culture, do you mean this church uh, or when also Jesus was when Redding. Jesus was in Reading as well? When Jesus Culture was in Reading. You were with, as a youth ministry and a band, you mm-hmm. were with them. Yeah, I and was And then doing, when banning, when they, when y'all planted together, y'all I, moved. When we planted, yep, we, I came down. I was the communications director from okay. Jesus Culture. So I was very much uh, behind the scenes. And I thought, this is how I can be in ministry. Right. I could never take a microphone because of my past. I could never preach because I'm... I just, I, I didn't have a, all the things I, I'm, I'm not qualified. My parents weren't pastors. I did, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in youth group. I, when Banning asked me to be the youth pastor, I said, I've never attended youth group. I've never attended. I wasn't a youth group kid. I never went to a summer camp. I don't camp. even know what, what do I do? Like, <laughs> I don't even know how it so, goes. And he said, well, that's why I, I think you should do it. That's what, that's what qualifies you. And I said, oh. you know, so it was this. It, and so my journey as a, as a, wow. as a preacher, pastor, minister now has been to overcome the feelings of I'm not qualified. Um, I'm not a, I wasn't given, you know, I see pre I saw preachers my age when I was 26, 27. I'm like, they're so good. And then you find out they're a fourth, fifth generation preacher. I'm like, man, they've been groomed for this. They've, they've cut their teeth on this. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning now you know, and, and will I ever be as good or what, what does that mean? Or how does that affect my anointing or my influence or my reach or, and so it's been, um, embracing, you know, being at, being at tables with other people, with other ministers who, this is my dad's church or my great granddad, or I was, you know, I started in fifth grade and, and and I was the youth group all-star and, and that's, you know, and I'm going, yeah, I don't know my dad. He's, you know, addicted to drugs somewhere. And I, you know, all the, the things of my family and what was given to me, um, has been the, has been my journey, you know, the behind the scenes is, oh man, really fighting to not feel the shame to, to, to really shed that. And I think I, I think in some ways I'm still doing that to, to, to new layers, you know, every, every year. Um, I had this moment in my third, in my, when I turned 30, I had this moment and the Lord said, um, I want to give you a new identity. And I thought, I've been getting a new identity since I'm 17, God. Like, of course, I, you know, I'm, you know, I know all the things. I'm a daughter of you and, you know, you've taken my past and you've cleansed me. And, and he said, no, you're still identifying with the girl whose dad left her. Wow. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, that's who you are. You're the girl whose dad left her. That's what you wear. You wear that. That's your journey. That's been your hardship. You're the girl whose dad left her and all the things that that comes with. Hmm. The shame and the father wounds and this. You're the girl whose dad left her. I struggled with striving and perfectionism, having to really feel like I need to earn my way. Hmm. And then, you know, church leadership, that opened up a whole nother thing of, well, now I felt in the church, they're definitely expecting me they're not expecting me to be an executive pastor. One, um, I'm a woman. 
I'm a first generation Christian. I have a sinful past. I just felt like all the odds yeah. are stacked against me to get to this position. So all the things that, you know, comes with the girl whose dad left her, the Lord said, you, you carry that really well. Cause mm. it's what you, it's what you're comfortable with. And it also gives you an excuse for a lot of your insecurities. <sighs> and I was, is this just a personal moment between you and the Lord? Like personal, he, yeah, he just, just like, straight rebuking yeah, you in your soul. 100%. There's not like a, pre- no, not preacher a per- or something else. No, it's like, just you it's and like him. My Bible and he's and like, the Lord's like, quit, quit saying you're the girl whose dad left her. And I'm like, huh. and I realized Craig, well, I don't know who I am apart from that. Wow. That's been my identity. Of course, I'm the girl whose dad left her. Therefore, of course, I have father wounds. Therefore, of course, I strive. Of course, I feel unqualified. It's really comfortable for me. And the Lord said, yeah, you're not the girl whose dad left her. And they said, well, who am I? And he said, you're the girl who's been fathered by God. And I was just, it changed. That was a really pivotal moment for me um, in just a new identity and mm-hmm. a new confidence and security and and an, you know, an ability to say to anybody who's how you know, gosh, we have half of Gen Z probably is fatherless, you know, and we'll wear that. We'll wear that really right. well. It's really easy, and there's so much, um, there's almost so much rallying around that, you know, this this orphaned thing and this right. broken home, and it's like, oh, well, when your dad leaves you, or when your mom isn't there, or when your parents are divorced, it means X, Y, and Z. And I think it's it's been comfortable. I think it's been breeding ground for the enemy to have his way with so many things. And the Lord said, what happens when you aren't the girl whose dad left her, but you're the girl who's been fathered by God. It changes the expectation. It changes the favor you walk in. It changes what you identify with. And it was a really, uh, it was, it was a turning, turning point for me for sure in um, embracing that and, and what that means kind of changed, changed my narrative really. Wow. So, my life has not been perfect, you know. Uh, I mean, there's so much. Yeah, in there. yeah. Absolutely incredible how yeah. God has a little burn CD in 2007, <laughs> and now you're the executive pastor at the church that basically that came from. It's so crazy. So, but I just want to before I move to the second major question, and we tie this this portion up. Um, because I think that you said something quickly, but extremely important. You said, I think I'm still healing from this. Mm-hmm. And it, it's evident that it's just like most of us, there is a lot of pain and struggle that isn't seen. And so for you, there's a, there's a lot of different angles and things that you could have talked about. And you touched on some of it. But the main thing that we talked about today was the father. And it sounded to me like that's that was the root of a lot of this. Mm-hmm. And that moment, that day that you're like, my... I'm half my daddy doesn't love me. And so, um, you know, maybe all the other issues aside, let's just say like just that one, when God starts dealing with you at age 30, you mm-hmm. know, here 13 years after you, mm-hmm. you're saved. So mm-hmm. it's not all just yeah. he- healed in a moment. <laughs> I'm Becky, the daughter yeah. of God. And it's all gone. Like yeah. you're going to, you're going to ministry school lying. <laughs> you sinner. <laughs> right. So, but, but then he's, he, all those years later, he starts dealing with you. How is that? What does that look like now? Like, mm-hmm. obviously I get the mm-hmm. sense that there's been great healing and, and you know who you are and, mm-hmm. and you, but just because I think that there are people that are like, I think that one thing that the enemy's doing in this generation is when you're young, he's saying, well, you're not old enough yet. Mm-hmm you're not accomplished yet. And yeah. then as soon as you turn 30 or 35, <laughs> you're not you're accomplished pa- enough. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're Pat. You've missed you, it. You've missed it. You're not, you're not 22 anymore. You're, you're not the, the young, pr- like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, and no, no matter uh, what, this is that I found in my life, no matter the age you are, it's never the right age. Yeah. And so for people that, whether they're still a teen, twenties, 30, or maybe somebody's listening to this, they're 50 and they're like, I should have been over this by now. What is wrong with me? So here you are, Becky Johnson. Mm -hmm. You're amazing. But you're still, are you still walking through some of this? Oh, totally. So uh, one of the, a question I get a lot when people hear this part of my story. So, and it's so many people are orphaned in some way or feel, you know, either traumatic with parents leaving or, or abuse. 
the the number one question I still get in my DMs and in person is how do I forgive my parents? How mm. did you how what's the key? Like what's the key? How do I forgive my dad for what he did and just move on? And every time my response is it's so much work and it takes a long time. It's so much work. First of all, forgiveness is a lot of work and healing and, and wholeness in your spirit and in your emotions. It's, it's a it, I think it's a journey. I think God, yes, God radically set me free, but you can't even go on the journey of forgiveness until you're set free. Like I was set free to go on the journey of mm. forgiveness. And so absolutely. I mean, I, I went into a whole new season of forgiving forgiving my past when I had my own kids and here I am watching my husband be an amazing father and I'm bitter and mad that why didn't I have that <sighs> why didn't I have that that is so frustrating this is everything I missed out on watching a a healthy normal <sighs> safe childhood for my own kids and I'm mourning what I didn't have and that there's the choice I can go back into bitterness and God you let me down or I can choose to see how okay I'm setting a new. I'm setting yeah. a new pathway for my family. And how lucky am I that yeah. I'm in a place where but we I'm can here give them this? Hundred percent, God. So it's it's always a choice. Oh my gosh, always a choice. Every you know, wow. to be really transparent and vulnerable. My my biological dad turned sixty um, a week ago, and there's you know I know the date on the calendar, and I know his birthday, and my birthday's coming up in two weeks, and I'm like you know, the, every year there's an opportunity to be frustrated and angry and, and fall back into bitterness and unforgiveness. And so every year I have to make that choice again to celebrate, release, forgive, pray yeah. and bless him to pray for his salvation. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. people are like, Oh, I prayed for a couple of years for a loved one of mine, you know, to, but I've, they, they give up. I'm like, I still pray for him. I mm. still pray for him. I put him on every prayer wall that we have and every salvation moment of prodigals. I, I lift his name up and I bless him. You mm. know, um, the people who hurt me in those teenage years, there were some, there were some people who violated me in ways that w would, would put me in therapy and, and on <sighs> medication. I pray for them and yeah. bless them yeah. and, and, and release them from judgment still, you know? So I think, um, it's, oh my gosh, we got to get into therapy. We got to be proactive. I read books on emotional health. I read books on forgiveness. Beautiful. I, I dive into that and you really have to take your healing journey. Like God, God will do it sovereignly, but there is still, you know, it's that yeah. co-laboring aspect. Yeah. So I've been in that. So it's so important for people to hear because we just live in such a fast food microwave yes. culture. Yeah. 100%. And then like we talked about earlier with social media on top of that. And it's just like everybody's highlight reels. Mm -hmm. And then we just think if God hasn't just delivered me from this mm -hmm. and healed me in a moment, like yeah. who am I, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. You know? And yeah. so you guys got to catch this, that like God sometimes does things in a moment and sometimes he invites us on a journey that can last a long time. Mm -hmm. But it's, that's that like pick up your cross daily yeah. situation. And absolutely. Um, thank you so much, mm -hmm. man. That's beautiful. Real quick. When did you and Derek get married in this process? Um, we got married after, so we finished our first year of ministry school and we got married. Got married in, yeah, in Reading. Yeah, in Reading. Okay. And you guys are how old? 30, 34. No, I'm sorry. Oh. When you got married? We were oh, like, 19. You were still like 19? Yeah. 19, okay. 21. Wow. You're turning, so you're turning 35 in two weeks? Congratulations. Turning 35 in two weeks. Thank you. Um, well, that ties in perfectly to the second part of the conversation then, and it's not it's going to be yeah. as long, but uh, conversations in contrast is one, what is one of the most difficult things you've been through? And then two, I don't know if you knew this or not, but my goal is to like do some behind your back questioning <laughs> of people, uh, <laughs> kind of off the scripture that says, let another man's uh, lips praise you. <laughs> and, uh, and so the second question is like, I want to talk about something awesome that you do in light of the pain and the struggle and so actually Derek is the one that gave me something that I, I, when he gave it I was like yeah of course like that's amazing I mean for sure but <laughs> I think it, it now is even more amazing oh. so now I'm even more the first thing that he said to me was the way that she's a mom mm. is unreal and I'm thinking well yeah like a lot of husbands would probably say that <laughs> but we talked about it him and I and uh, a little bit more and it's like here you are, you are in this culture, a full-time mm -hmm. pastor mm -hmm. at a, 
a big, yeah, busy, yes, doing a lot church. Yes, you do travel and preach. Mm-hmm. You're leading staff. You like mm-hmm. you got a lot going on, mm-hmm. and now especially knowing your story mm-hmm. in light of your past and what happened with your parents or lack thereof. Yeah. He's like, it doesn't matter how long her day was, what Mm -hmm. she's doing in ministry, what, and for you and I both know, ministry is not just the time that you're, it's the weight of the relationships and the thoughts that never leave. It is a full, full, full time job. (laughs) But he says when she comes home and she's with the kids, Mm -hmm. she's sacrificing Mm -hmm. and she's all in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think about people that grew up with like maybe say an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and they just hate the fact that their parents an alcoholic. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll never be like you. Mm-hmm. Half the time they turn into them <laughs> and half the time they are the exact opposite. Yeah. And so I don't know. Is it just like mm. innate in you, mm-hmm. like just to be a mom mm-hmm. or is there something from the past that you didn't have that yeah. it's like, I'm going to be the best mom. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It just sounds like this is one of the awesome aspects of who Becky is. Yeah. And it's not mm-hmm. church. It's not mm-hmm. ministry. It's not the stage. Mm-hmm. It's the little ones in your home. Yeah. So tell us a little, little bit about that. I really struggled with motherhood. I, when Derek and I met at 15 and he was 17, uh, we started to get serious, and I said, just so you know, I never want kids. So wow. if you want to get married and have kids, you shouldn't date me. Okay. And he said, why don't you want kids? And I said, I've seen what a brain Why would I are. bring it? Yeah. Why, would I, why would I bring somebody into a painful world? Why would I do that? And so motherhood is, um, oh, I didn't stuff pillows in my shirt like my friends were. I didn't pretend to walk down the aisle. I wanted to be independent from family because family was pain to me. <sighs> I wanted to be independent from pain. So I thought I'm not going to I'm not going to do that. And so um, also raised by a really strong, working, independent woman, like she taught me to work. And so, and I just thought this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to work hard, and I don't need a man, and I don't want kids. And so, oh my gosh, that whole domestic journey for me. <laughs> and then I get into the church world, which is so beautiful, but so antiquated sometimes in some of the ways that they view women. And I don't know if that maybe it's just the, the coffee speaking or the vulnerability, but I'm like, wow, I never felt there was a limit on me as a woman until I became a Christian. That, And that's just Whoa. true. Never. I thought before I became a Christian, I thought women can do anything. I can do anything. I watched my mom soar to, wow. she promoted in jobs, feeding the family. And I thought I'm, I'll be president. I'll be, I'll be whatever I want to be. And then I became a Christian and they were like, you will be a wife. And you will be happy. You go have some kids. And go have and some kids. Stay at home and, and yeah, take care of your Yeah. And that's like, glor- that's, and if you want anything else, like what's wrong with you? And wow. that's, you know, don't be, uh, you're trying to be masculine. You're trying to be, uh, you're out of alignment. That's not alignment. You need to, you know, that's not biblical. And that's coming from a church that was pretty progressive for how they viewed women too. In like terms of, I, you know. From the, I was pretty much my whole like early Christian years was at Bethel, which is super empowering for women. But um, there was still no woman that had ever preached on a Sunday morning at the time. And it wasn't that they were, you know, it was just all the, yeah, I don't know, just the, the culture. And then, you know, you expand out into other churches and other cultures and other Christians and all the girls that I was talking to. I'm like, what do you want to do? You know, we're young ministry students, 19, 20, 21. And they're like, I really hope I get married. And yeah. I'm like, which is nothing, nothing is wrong with that. Yeah. That is what God has called some women to, but it is not what all women are called to. And then I started to hit my head on glass ceilings everywhere in church. I mean, just everywhere. I'm like, what is going on in terms of there was just no woman who had done it. Not even necessarily there were men opposed to my pursuit, but they're like, well, we just don't know. Like all the women are home having babies. They've not wanted to be at this table that wanted to be in this leadership position. They've not wanted to do this. And so, um, so having children, I'm like, I already naturally had some wounding there. And yeah. now I'm like, this is now what's expected of me. They're going to limit me. I'm going to get, take a back seat to when my calling, when I really started to step into my calling, like, oh, I do feel called to lead in the church. I feel called to lead and to preach and to build and to, to lead. I thought, how do I do that with kids? And I don't see anybody doing it. All the women that I had seen and looked up to did it post teenagers. They stepped into it. They were like, oh, I raised my kids. And then I stepped into something. And I'm like, 
well, who's doing it? And, and there are women doing it with little kids, but it felt very, it, and it still feels pretty few and far between. I talk to women all the time. They're like, there's just not many doing it. Right. You know, like, you know, I, <laughs> I was nursing babies and then going on the platform like to preach, you know, I'm like, this is, and so, um, motherhood for me, it didn't come naturally. I really went on a healing journey there to wanting kids and then had them and had three of them and have fallen in love with motherhood. It's, and you've always been, you've kept your staff role mm-hmm. through it all. Every time I came back from maternity leave, I had a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> So it's so funny. Every wow. time I've had a baby, I've come back. I had You're like, well, do I want another baby and <laughs> another promotion or, <laughs> yeah. or am I good? <laughs> it's been so crazy. And so, um, wow. so it's, uh, yeah, it's been, oh gosh, that's, that's a whole nother podcast. I'm sure. Yeah. And, uh, it's been lots of tears and feeling like I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it right. It's just lots of ups and downs feeling pretty lonely in the motherhood and ministry role. And so, um, I've had a tenacity in me that I won't, you know, I won't sacrifice my kids for ministry. I've seen that also, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this really well, but I do, um, I do believe that we can do both, but it's harder. Mm -hmm. It's harder. It would be much easier if I was just home with my kids. Right. 100%. Would it be hard? Yes. So is that what drives you then when you go home? It's like, I might be tired, but I'm, I need to put the effort in mm -hmm. because I know what I'm called to over here. And I'm not going to sacrifice them. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. just work double. And when you're home, you're all in with them. I'm all in sacrifice. With them. And when you're here, you. Yeah, I sacrifice. Yeah. And women ask me that a lot. How do you do it? I, I posted the other day, I taught, I'm teaching my boy how to read. He's five. And a woman DM me, she said, How do you do that working full time? How do you teach him to read? I said, I teach him from 6 to 7 p.m. It's really difficult. It's hard. I come home. There isn't a, I just get to sit on the couch or I just relax or, you know, right. I'm up early before the kids. I go to work and I come home and my time from dinner to bedtime routine, it is 100% them. It's sacrificial. I am tired. I have to push past. I'm just like, I don't know how else to say it, guys. It's just a lot of work. Yeah. And there's a ton of stuff that I have to sacrifice that I, you can't have it all. You can have it all, but not all at once, right? <laughs> and so there's a ton of stuff that I sacrifice and say no to in this right. season to give them to give them what I give them. And, you know, so I was describing to her my routine and she responded back. She goes, that sounds really exhausting. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it is. So I don't know. It's just like, so I think, wow. um, yeah, I... Yeah, that's really sweet to, to hear him yeah, say. Yeah, I, I just say, yeah. I just compliment you because both in terms of what you're doing now, mm-hmm. what it takes to do what you're doing now, to have that, that type of compliment be the first one out of mm-hmm. your spouse's mouth and the past that you've come from. Mm-hmm. And so that's beautiful. Go home and give that guy a kiss. <laughs> um, but man, thank you for sharing your yeah, story with us today. So um, I just, n- number one, I want to, where can people find you? Uh, is it just you know social media or if if they ever just want to follow you yeah. or even connect with you i don't know if that's yeah. possible and then number two i want to ask if you will say a prayer mm-hmm. um just kind of in light of your story and mm-hmm. i know that there's so many pieces of that yeah. fatherless generation mm-hmm. uh, self-harm mm-hmm. i mean you spoke to so many things that i think that there's gonna be real impartation mm-hmm. through your prayer for mm-hmm. people that are listening so yeah uh, where can people find you yeah I'm on Instagram at Becky Fox Johnson. I'm not complimenting myself. That's my maiden name. People always think like, oh, do you think you're Becky, Fox? Oh, you're I'm like, no, it's my maiden name. Fox is my maiden name. Uh, so Becky Fox Johnson on Instagram. Um, I love connecting with people, um, you know, over messages or, yeah, that's Perfect. where. That's and if where you're I'm... in the Sacramento, Folsom area, mm-hmm. come out here to Jesus, yeah, Jesus Culture. Jesus Culture Sacramento here in Folsom Beautiful every church. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, yeah, will you say a prayer? Yeah, I would love to. Thank you. Yeah, Jesus, I thank you for your kindness and your grace and for your relentless pursuit of us. And I, I pray through this podcast and through my story, God, that you would speak to, you would speak to those that are suffering mm-hmm. in pain, that are in, if it's unforgiveness, if it's orphan spirits, if it's uh, self-harm or addiction, a depression, God, I pray that your spirit and your presence would go forth and you would meet people where they are and you would set them free. I just release the mm-hmm. the impartation of my testimony where you came in a moment and you set me free, God, sovereignly outside of an altar call, outside of a of a right. service. You met me in my room on a on a Wednesday morning. Would you meet people today on a on a day that they're not ex- 
expecting it? Would your spirit come and, and would you set people free? Would you show them? You showed me what was possible with you, God. Would you show people? Would you show a generation? Would you show the listeners what is possible when they choose you? I pray grace to go into the the hard, painful journey of forgiveness, that you would grace people for those that maybe their spirit's burning within them and they know that they've not faced this thing in their own life. Would you give them courage, Holy Spirit, to to step into what it is to fully release and let go of mm-hmm. people who have hurt us and to step into the freedom of that? I would not be where I am today if it had, if I did not choose forgiveness the way that you forgave me. So grace us, Holy Spirit, yes. to forgive those that have hurt us, to set us free. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for joining us, everybody. God bless. Mm.